At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella on the Cared the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today, I have a very special guest that is joining me here from Las Vegas, Nevada, and is going to be sharing some amazing global perspective on hottest topics that C-suite is facing. I'm finally super jazzed and excited to have this conversation because we need to dispel some myths and address some elephants in the room. And who better to do that than someone who is also equipped with cultural transformation and leadership and global networking and trainer of amazing companies um, that he had a chance to work with uh, ranging from Asia to uh, Europe and Middle East um, and definitely financial banking industry. And if anything got disrupted and now it's completely regulated is the financial industry. So without further ado, let's invite to this conversation, Brett, Brett Beckert. Brett, how are you? I'm great, Isabella. Thank you so much for having me on the program. It's wonderful to be here and, and I'm looking forward to to the next um, 45 minutes or so on um, having some fun with you and talking about some really important issues uh, that I know is on a lot of uh, companies and, uh, and uh, people's minds. So it's great to be here. Absolutely. Fantastic. Great to have you. I know you have a busy schedule and it's always great to catch mm-hmm. up with uh, people like yourself on in these conversations, or not only where we can, you and I just uh, compare the notes and make magic happen, but really for others that are right now dealing with very complex issues, right? We're seeing interesting trends. But before we dive into all of that, how did you even get into leadership and financial industry? And then how you got into that cultural uh, expertise? Mm. Yeah, so a lot of people ask me that question. It's a great question because a lot of people think, well, a banker, you know, is only dealing with money and loans and, you know, wealth management and deposits and stuff like that. And, and actually, you know, I spent 30 years working across 30 countries. And I can tell you that, sure, money's important. Money's what banking is all about, right? And lending money and helping businesses and, and uh, keeping money safe and all sorts of stuff with money, but it's really comes down to people and leadership. And, and just a little story to answer your question. I, sometimes stories are good to tell, you know, I, I worked for three uh, global banks um, over that 30 year period. The first one I was with, uh, I was with for 19 years. And then the other two um, uh, carried out the, the final 10. During that initial 19, it was a great company. It was City, and I worked all over the world, many of the places you mentioned. Um, and basically, um, I had mastered what I'll call uh, throughout this conversation with you, management. I was, I was one of the best managers in, in my space in City at handling processes and you know, putting together tasks and, you know, different, different things. I could just manage anything, right? I could manage an audit, manage money, you name it. Um, 
when I left that ecosystem and went to work for Barclays, which is a UK bank after 19 years, I quickly learned, Isabella, that, that I didn't know anything about leadership, knew a lot about management, didn't know a lot about leadership. And what I mean by that is that the things that I had done for 19 years in banking, now I'm still in banking, and I'm in Europe, I'm in the UK, actually, with a different bank, different ecosystem, different culture. So I'm getting to your question here. The things that I was doing before to drive results and to grow businesses, they just weren't working. They were pretty much falling on deaf ears. And, and they were they were process-oriented things about, you know, putting together plans and tracking mechanisms and coaching programs, performance management. You know, I had it all. And it worked so well for those 19 years. And it wasn't working. The people, they, they just weren't responding. And so, so fortunately, um, um, I had a great um, leader that had hired me. And he had an interest in making sure that I was successful, obviously, because he hired me. So he taught me a lot about leadership. And, it, and his boss um, was a CEO she was an amazing person. And basically the two of them, I was able to really pick up a lot of the, what I'll call the soft leadership skills that would complement my hard management skills. And it, these were things like Isabella uh, culture, you know, cultures really, you know, leaders know how to cultivate a culture, but if you put a manager in, and I'll talk more about the differences in a minute, but you put a manager in charge of culture, you know, they haven't really been trained on how to uh, cultivate a culture or solve a cultural related issue. Um, a leader, on the other hand, helps to uh, foster a culture and to hire diverse uh, people, diverse mindsets, um, uh, people that that are not afraid to uh, try new ideas, to be creative, and to do a lot of the things that you see in some of the best companies in the world, you know, today, the apples of the world and companies that were, that were performing, that have performed well in the pandemic era, have put together a great culture where they can adapt to the needs of consumers quite quickly. So I learned how to do a lot of that uh, pretty quickly during my time in the UK. And then the, the first test of that was the global financial crisis, which happened. I think I took this position in, in late 2006. And of course, the financial crisis happened what, a year and a half later. And that was a test. That was a test. And we had we had uh, transformed the business. Uh, there were five managing directors in, in Barclays at the time, and we had, had undertaken a very successful transformation. But how did we know it was successful? Well, we knew it when the global financial crisis hit and we started growing market share. We started improving employee engagement. We started improving our net promoter scores with customers and all these different indicators and then profits followed all of those things. Whereas many of the competition were slipping back and we were taking their share. So that's how we knew that it worked. Right. And so without getting too technical, we knew that it was working. And, you know, I like to talk to people, Isabella, about management leadership and I'll talk about a smartphone. Right. 
you get you get a, a nice smartphone. It's beautiful. You take it out of the box. You turn it on, charge it up. You're ready to go. There's no SIM card inside of it. And you attempt to make a phone call. It's not going to work. It, it doesn't matter how hard you press the screen and how angry you get at it. And that, so to me, the, the hardware is the actual phone, the device, and mm -hmm. the software, the chip or the SIM card, that's kind of what makes it all work. And you have to have both, right? If you don't have both, then, then you can forget it. But if you have one and not the other, you can also forget it. And so that's really kind of a long answer to your question that I learned that the leadership is a software it, it's be, knowing things, uh, you know, how to be empathetic, knowing how to tackle problems from a team perspective instead of just a task perspective, big difference. Looking at things through people, not just processes. Processes are the management side. People is the leadership side. So these soft things, I learned a lot about that in banking. And I can tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up my answer to your question here, but so 19 years with City, then another 11 years with um, Barclays and then ANZ Bank and in different parts. And that last decade of my career was, a, I made a huge impact on people. Tens of thousands of people benefited from what I've just told you and those listening to this uh, from different methods. We could talk about examples of how to transform cultures and and uh, turn organizations upside down to diversify teams that were not diverse before. All of those things, when you add it up, I not only was more effective during that final 10 years, I was able to, um, I drove my own compensation significantly higher because I was more effective. We had much higher balance performance across people, customers, and profits instead of just a profit mindset. And that I would argue is driving a big part of the great resignation today is just a profit mindset short term, and not a focus on these other things. So it was a wonderful um, uh, final 10 years. And, you know, I still have, I'll wrap it up with this. I still have people today from Zambia. They send me a text every morning. I've got two people and they said, good morning, Brett. And it's been more than a decade since I've seen them. Good afternoon, Brett, and then have a good night's sleep, Brett. You know, I get these. So, so the, the impact that you can make on people a decade later, right, when you haven't even been, I haven't even been back to the country in the past decade because I was off in Asia and now I'm in, in North America, is, it is one of the most gratifying experiences that any leader, at least for me, could ever ask for. And somebody asked me, what was, if somebody asked me, what was the profit that you made in the year 2008? I don't remember. I don't remember a number, but I do remember the people and the people remember me. That's my long answer to your question about my leadership journey and how I wound up with that. That's amazing and that's extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that because mm -hmm. I love how you contrast how you started as a manager and then how you transition as a leader and recognize an importance. And also because financial industry, again, is driven by the money and it's one of the hardest one to change. It's highly regulated, mandated. It's very strong matrix culture. So if we can make a significant improvement in those spaces, 
then we can make it an applicable anywhere, right? Uh, and the same thing culturally, embracing cultures and diversity mm -hmm. and embracing inclusivity, inclusion in sense of, of different skills and different ideas and different approaches. And I'm glad you touched on a great resignation because you and I are pretty much on alignment and I'd love to audience mm -hmm. to hear why the great resignation is happening. What did we sweep on the rug to the point that we couldn't hide it any longer? And, and then now when it's kind of unraveled and everything came out, it's like, what do we do now? So mm -hmm. please, do you mind sharing your perspective? First of all, how do we build up to breaking point and then how the pivotal moments in the last two years mm. opened the Pandora box. Yeah. Going what a great, what a great way to frame it, Isabel. And we do see eye to eye on this, right? And I think that you you've just you've you've built the the question perfectly. And and I'll give you my answer. And you know, people may debate it, but I think overall the consensus would would pretty much um align with what I'm about to say. And I would say that that the root cause i always like to look at root causes i know you do as well right and yes. um you know it because if you pull a weed up if you trim a weed coming out of the ground guess what's going to happen in another week it's going to grow it's you know you didn't get the root so you know you haven't really done anything right so let's let's pull this great resignation out of the ground for a minute and inspect the root and so what I believe happened, and I believe it's happened, it was brewing for the past decade. I don't think that the pand I think the pandemic accelerated it. Um, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But basically the root cause of the great resignation and why people don't have a big desire to work right now is that they're fed up. They're fed up with a lack that has been brewing probably for a decade of connectivity with the top leadership of the company. They're fed up with um, different ways of all the massive changes to compensation that have happened over time where, where they, they expected one thing, not necessarily higher, by the way, that, but they expected um, uh, these three factors to go into compensation. And they when it came time to actually receive the compensation, they were informed that, well, we didn't quite do as well as what we thought. So, um, you know, it's, it's half of what, what I led you to believe, and I'm sorry, I can't do anything about it. You know, that type of thing where, where the compensation hasn't aligned. Uh, but it's much more than that. Uh, when the pandemic happened on top of all of those other issues brewing, um, what happened is that the, the, work from home situation, the lockdown, the not lockdown, all of these different things impacted people around the world in a big way. Uh, because great, we have technology, we have Zoom, so we can be more productive. We don't have to commute anymore. You know, we can do these things. But what started to happen, Isabella, is that many companies, many, um, what I'll call irrelevant leaders, leaders in title only, started doing Zoom calls after they had dinner. And they would, you know, have a call at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, um, they had their dinner. So they're the boss. So they want to, you know, get a little bit of work done. And people, you know, the, the staff isn't, uh, isn't commuting in anymore. So, you know, they were able to probably take care of a lot of their personal matters, you know, during the day. So let's have a call at night. 
you know, and I'm giving you, these are real examples that I've gotten around the world. I'll give you examples about Hong Kong. Okay. Big part of my networks in Asia in Hong Kong, not in all cases, but in many cases, the apartments, the living quarters are so small that yes. many people have more space when they're in the office. It's, it's just been that way. It's just the nature of the economy. If you've been to Hong Kong and seen yes. the vertical, the vertical city, yes. right? Uh, you would, you would know that. And, but many people don't necessarily think of that. So when this happened, just the mental impact of, mm -hmm. um, of place, and I'm using Hong Kong as an example, it's certainly not the only places that way, but you, you get New York. Yeah, that that's right. You get people that that all of a sudden, and a lot of these things aren't talked about publicly. They just say, "Well, a lot of people are resigning, and they can't fill the jobs." Well, you and I on this conversation, Isabella, we're talking about many of the reasons why that's happening, and a lot of it is just the connect. So when the pandemic happened, the lack of connectivity on employee needs, which was already starting to slip away because of the, the focus on short-term profits. Mm -hmm. um, then all of a sudden you had these pandemic related issues that just compounded. And many, in my opinion, based on a lot, hundreds of people I've spoken to the past several months, Isabella, that's not just Brett's opinion reading from a computer. I've talked to people right? And one of the reasons why they left, the main reason is that they feel it's less risky not to work than to work because of the mental strain that it's putting on them, the stresses it's putting on them, the family. Now they're together at home, many of which without an office at home. So where, where are you at? Are you on the, on the sofa in the living room or you're in the kitchen or the dining room table? Where's your office, right? And then uh, many of these people are mothers, right? So they, they have their kids running around, right? And then you have the complexities of daycare. So a lot of these needs have um, these burdens, I would say, employers haven't recognized in mass, I'm talking about, obviously the great companies have, but, but in mass, therefore the great resignation, they haven't recognized this. And so, so people just said, I'm fed up. I'm not going to work. So, to, so what does it take to get them back? We'll probably talk a bit about that, but that, in my opinion, I hope that answered your question. That, that in my opinion is a lot of the undercurrents that you don't hear a lot about, but if you actually talk to people and I went out and I talked to people, hundreds of them in, in different, different continents, right? North America, uh, Canada, the U S the East coast, the West coast, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, Australia, the UK, Dubai, Zambia, Botswana, Zimbabwe. I've, I've talked to people all over the world, all these places where I've worked before, right? And mainland China, okay? Mainland China, you know, the Chinese adapted very well in the early days of COVID because they had the, they had the, you know, we think this Zoom technology is great. Well, they they found a way to communicate with to have a meeting with 30,000 people live on different platforms that, that are not Zoom. And so so, you know, a lot of companies um, were nimble and a lot of companies didn't really do much. And then they're stuck with leaders that have no idea 
how to shift the culture to match the needs of what their their uh, future workforce would uh, demand. Does that help? Did that answer the question? Yes, it does. Yeah. And then actually it really will shed some light because what happens when you have a strong connection and relationship, people tell you the true pain points and true concerns and issue. Infrastructures of internet, of small spaces where they can have a privacy and peace and quiet. But also if you constantly in the small spaces and you can't go out like there was shut down New York for example for so many New Yorkers then it's like mission impossible you don't get a chance to be on fresh air and then go to the park or to do certain things you feel constantly as you know in seclusion and 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 then you have isolation and then you have all these other factors and the frankly when I read statistics and I read from three different um uh, companies that I trust and believe in their data, when they said that over 75% executives were not ready to lead in virtual world, that we were forced into it, and how process of adaptation was rocky and painful, of course, had to reflect on people. And if you're not having decision-making uh, inclusion there and at least understanding what else you should consider as you're making decision, you're gonna miss the mark. And in times when it's so crucial not to miss the mark, obviously creates more bleeding, more pain, more suffering, and as a result, exodus that we're seeing here. But it's interesting on flip side, companies will be posting the jobs, but they will not necessarily hire fast or hire well. And which tells me also that HR system is broken, everything internally, it's not in cohesion. And, and even for those elementary aspects of it, gaps are bigger, takes longer time to get back to someone. So it's like, how do you fix this? Or do you have people who truly want a job, need a job, they're ready, willing and available. Why is taking the so long? It's when we have so much competency. Isn't this so shocking? So I'm curious, what is your think on that for seeing all these broken systems and then with brilliant people that America has, for example, <laughs> and rest of yeah. the world too. But we are yet still seeing very slow improvements why is that yeah i think i think i think you're right and and you've given some statistics and and i'll answer that but i'll, I'll throw out another statistic on top of the one that you just gave bloomberg did a survey um i don't know this uh, maybe six weeks ago something like that people people can look it up or we could look it up and provide it um 71 of ceos in in the u.s do not have confidence they will have their job at the end of this year. Now, let's think it now. Okay, so a lot of people hear that. I read that and I immediately thought because I've been trained as an expert in transforming big cultures with thousands of people. I didn't think of those poor CEOs, right? What I thought about was, goodness gracious, Isabella, yes. think what all of the people, the thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that currently work at these companies. And they're wondering, my CEO thinks that he or she may not be around at the end of this year. What kind of future is that, right? And so that doesn't well, help, yeah, <laughs> right? What, what, where is the hope for me, right, in that case? Exactly, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. So here you have a sentiment survey done by the media. So that's fine, that's real world. So we have to deal with that, right? And I'm sure a lot of companies would have preferred that not be done, but that's basically 
That's what the CEO said. So that gives you a, a, a sense for the, the temperature. The, the fever is quite high at the very top in the C-suite for this year. This is not five years from now, right? So it was an amazing thing. I was, I was actually not really stunned at the, at the number, but thinking about, okay, well, this further reaffirms the great resignation and there's probably a lot more to come. So back to your point, why aren't we making progress? Well, one reason is this that I just spoke about at the top, because if the top doesn't have the confidence level to get yeah. through the pandemic era economy and, and transform themselves to have, I don't know, I don't, you and I can't solve it all today, but, <laughs> but because every company's different, right. And they require ex yes. experts that, that can yes. look at their situation. But as an example, I'll just give an example that um, on a new work model, permanent work model on um, that may not be, it might be hybrid. It might be work from home. It might be a difference in how people are measured. I have the view that a lot can be done with how people are measured. So for example, why, why don't companies cut? I'll tell you what I would do if I was a CEO of any company and I went in there and I started next Monday. You know what I would do, Isabella? I would just mandate across the board, 75% of all Zoom meetings are now canceled. My leadership team needs to figure out, you can do your inventory of everything, but I, I want to know the, the current number and we're going to cut it by three quarters and we're going to figure out how to do it. Okay. Uh, period. Because I happen to know that the trickle down impact of that will be a huge boost to morale. Now, so the question, and I, you know, I've, I've done this in businesses and I always have when I, when I go in and we have one of these meetings and talk about improving efficiency. Everybody, oh, we can't do it. <laughs> you know, we need to increase meetings by 25% if we're <laughs> going to keep up with you. Well, I'm sorry. So it's 75%. So executives, you figure it out because this is what's going to happen. So I would still expect you to deliver, but I don't expect you to deliver all these meetings because I happen to know Isabella, I mean, I've surveyed the markets right around the world. I happen to know that Zoom is actually, and you would have thought that Zoom in the pandemic era would have really improved efficiency, but it's been abused because people don't know how to properly use it. So that's the first thing I would do is I would cut, as an example, I'm just giving this as an example. The second thing that I would do is I would stop measuring people on activity. Okay, because if you start measuring people on activity, you know what, you're, you're going to get more activity, right? Not necessarily more efficiency, not necessarily more uh, profit impact and, and em employee impact, right? So what I would do is I would uh, cut the activity out because I happen to know also that the trickle down impact of that will be enormous. So let's look at sales, for example. Stop measuring people in the pandemic era, in this current environment. You want to hang on to your top people, let them breathe, okay? You're, measure them on outcomes, support them. Don't track all their activities. How many hours a day are you spending calling clients? How many appointments are you having today? Let, let's give them some slack. I still expect you to deliver 
X and I'm going to compensate you for delivering X, et cetera. I'm going to support you, but let's support them in different ways. Let's not dictate to them how they should spend their eight or 10 hour day, right? And let's give them a bit of relief. So these are just a couple of examples. I'm not saying this would solve the problem, but if I were to go in to a company next week, I would start with this type of maybe mindset is the word I should use. The mindset is going to be very different and we're going to completely dismantle and deconstruct work from home and we're going to build it up properly. Then I'd get the employees together and I say, how do you want to work? What, what do you want to see? Right. And this would be the new HR organization. And if the current HR organization didn't like it and it was compliant with the laws, they're gone. Right. And we'd get in new HR people. Right. And um, and that type of thing in order to kind of reshape it and build it. We did this at Barclays. We did it in the UK before the GFC. We rebuilt the company and the culture from the bottoms up. We set sales targets, Isabella. We let our people, we tooled them up, taught them how to do it. And instead of, because what was happening, they, the pressure of a top-down sales target was forcing them to do things that, that probably weren't in the best interest of the customer and themselves. And so I was part of new management that they brought in to actually change this. So you know what we did? We turned it upside down. We said, okay, tops-down goes away. And we're going to do it bottoms up. We produced more than three times the amount over the next two years than we did with tops down targets. And people weren't pressured because it became aspirational now. We actually listened to people. So I think a big part, just to sum up your question, why aren't we making more progress? That was your question to me. The reason is, is that we're We've got leadership and companies that are attempting to manage their way out of this through processes that, that they're familiar with because they, they haven't been trained and, and um, uh, they're not experts in how can you turn the way you've always done it upside down, shake it up, and empower the people that are, um, that are generating the revenue from you, which is typically at the bottom, not in the C-suite. So I think basically we need to turn things upside down a bit. Did that answer your question? I love it. Yes, it does. <laughs> and it gives me a lot of, obviously, uh, thoughts and ideas. Uh, but at the same time, uh, brings another really important question. And I know um, I posted mm. that and it's my viewpoint based on also analytics and checking things out. And I'm curious, uh, what are your thoughts are, where the most companies currently are, do they need a restructuring or reinvention? Because it's two, oh, different, yeah. two different. I don't even need to, I don't need to think it, they need to reinvent. <laughs> they need to reinvent. I'm sorry to interrupt. You can, was that your, was that the end of your question? Because <laughs> yes, I don't so even need to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true because like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 please. No, I was just going to say that, you know, maybe, tw maybe, I don't know, 15, 15, 10 or 15 years ago, maybe kind of reorganization, you know, doing rejiggling things, moving people around, you know, those things were highly effective, right? Um, but the, the macroeconomic environment was different. The level of volatility was different. The, the landscape, you know, so the reason it needs to be reinvented. Let's look at what just the pandemic did, and also pre-pandemic, 
you know, it's, it's almost like you have two sports stadiums, right? Um, an old one and a new one. Okay. And um, the players have moved, which are the employees, by the way, and the people that make money for the company, they've moved to the new stadium and the leadership is still living in the old stadium and that old stadium is about to implode because it's going to become a parking lot. Okay. That's what they do. Right. And so, um, so it needs to be re that new stadium was reinvented with, um, with greater economic benefits in mind with more comfort for players, for employees, for, uh, fans, the customers, and you can, you can enjoy the sport in more luxury than you could in the old stadium with hard seats. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, 40 years old. So, so we've got to get leadership. Okay. We've got to reinvent leadership and get them into the new stadium because the ownership now let's talk about owners for a second, the owners, the shareholder, the board, the board audit committee chair I truly believe this is where the answer lies for solving the great resignation issue because the owners are starting to see the profits slip. There's, they're obviously seeing their employees slip away. You go to a fast food restaurant in North America now and brand new restaurant and you go to the drive-thru, okay? And it says, we're sorry, our lobby is closed because of lack of employees. You know, these are popular, big chain restaurants. People aren't working. So, so it, it, this, so they need to reinvent, Isabella, is the point. And whether it's going from an old stadium to a new stadium or thinking, rethinking the work from home model, which you and I spoke about a while ago, something along those lines, but it's a new mindset that needs to happen from the top. And then the employees will be attracted to come back to work, right? If you help, let them help design it. That's what I would do. Brilliant. And I love mm. that we're in alignment on that because I've seen a lot of those dinosaur old structures up towards the leadership C-suite, whole concept of business. And I wanted to hear your global view and perspective because both of us are thinking in those senses. We're seeing what's going on on global map. Things are changing rapidly. We can't anymore think in isolation that global economy is not affecting us regardless of where we may operate and how far is our reach. But in the mm. same time, we're so spending over for that quick fix, as you mentioned earlier, to just to kind of pull the lead and without worrying about the roots, because at the moment, weed is not seen and it's cool and at least we buy some time. But right. reality is as long the root is down there, the bigger roots can start developing and it's going to be harder to extract that and harder to eliminate, right? And I'm mm. seeing this huge shift where we're still dumping so much money, time and resources in infrastructures and structures that just simply don't work, never really did. Yeah. versus allowing to really go in that commitment of transformation, which brings another great point. And I want to ask you, sure. um, obviously I'm a big leader of culture, people and transformation. And both of us, you, you, you know, you just change. You look phenomenal, by the way. I love jacket, suit and tie. There was a change before this call, right? But for, mm -hmm. to transform, both of us know it's an inner work and takes time. And a lot of times we look at that external quick appearances because then we think the change that's going to stick. And that's what 
a lot of times that doesn't stick, right? That's right. But what happens with the transformation? So do you mind tackling a little bit that inner transformation on your professional journey and things you've seen and then also on the organizational level through that cultural transformation lens, please? Yeah, I mean, I, I've learned um, what I learned. And it again, it, you know, it, it's for those listening right now, you know, they they well, okay, well, it's easy for him to say that. Well, it's easy. It is easy for me to say it now, but I went through a lot of pain on my journey, right? We've all had had pains on our journeys, right? I mean, I followed your journey as well. And, and that's where we learn, right? And, and we learn, I learned anyway, we're you asked me, so I learned through failure, right? On different things. I told already told you one story about that. I almost failed when I got my first big, big leadership role because I didn't know how to lead. That's a pretty basic thing, right? So, you know, it took me decades to learn that, but I've, I've learned, and I even do it, I'm doing it this week, right? I'm, I'm reinventing myself, okay? I'm not a banker. I'm talking to you. You're not a banker, but I can tell you, I go back 10 years in my career, five years in my career, I would only talk to bankers, it, it, it's, it's a true or customers, right? It's a, it's really a true statement, but now I spend very little time. I mean, I, I sure I network with ex colleagues and everything, but I spend by far the majority of my time reinventing myself, building expertise this. So what I do, I'll get, just to give you an example of what I do now this month, this week on my own personal transformation. And then we'll talk about the organization. That was your second question. So what I do is I use LinkedIn. I use this platform and I go and I pick five people that I want to learn from in a completely different area than where my expertise is. And I can tell you, I'll just give you a couple uh, right now, and people can look at my feed and the names are there. So you can do your own research. But one is I'm studying an Asian scientist right now, who happens to be running the largest media company. She used to run her own biotech lab, okay, in Singapore. Wow. I'm studying her. I engage with her on her newsfeed. I read everything. I listen to her speeches. And I just immerse myself in what she does. There's another person that that helps um, professional and intercollegiate athletes transition from sport into business. That to me is fascinating, right? It's like if yes. I can if I can pick up some skills from somebody like and and this is all desktop. You know, you can do it. So it's a matter of being. And so I'll kind of stop right there. But and if people want more, they can go on to my newsfeed the last two weeks, and that's all right there. But the point is that it, it comes down to being resourceful. So if you want to reinvent yourself, and right now, if you're, I wrote a post yesterday, it was a memo to everybody that's employed. And the memo, I'm just going from memory here, the memo says, dear employed people, update your resume, update your LinkedIn profile, um, start to network, build some skills in fintech, tech, or transformation. You'll be happy to hear that one, Isabella, right? Because that's where the hot industries are right now. And the new economy, the pandemic era economy, if you can pick up some skills in those areas, and even when you're employed, you work really hard on this. Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins mentor, right? 
Um, he has so many concepts I've applied over the, my 30 year career and even today. And, you know, the, the point is that he always said, work harder on yourself than you do your job. So why wouldn't people give themselves, even though they're working now, full-time job and you're getting paid, cut an, carve an hour or two out of your day this week to study three or four people, learn something new. It's amazing what you can learn. Do this. I tell people do this for 30 days and it will start to change you. Right. So that that's, that's an answer to your question about me. Now, what can an organization do to make transformational change? They have to, uh, Isabella, one of the things that I admire about your work is that you do things based on data. It's data that, I mean, I don't know how many times you've used the word data in this conversation, right? In framing questions for me. And, and that's really important is to understand what's really happening, not some back of the envelope, general gut feel that because 30 years ago, that's how we did it. You know, it's not, that's not going to solve any problems. So, so you've got to go out and does that know what the, the client is thinking, or if you're in manufacturing, uh, you know what's actually happening on the front line, okay? What, what is not working with the new technology? Um, you know, if we were looking at Boeing, for example, and I don't think I'll ever be looking at Boeing, but, you know, yesterday there was news on Boeing that they're no longer going to be allowed to inspect their own one of their dreamliners, I think it was, was the news, right? So what will the implications of that be for the frontline employees, not for management and the bottom line and profits? There, there's people that will account for all of that, but who's paying attention to what's going on there? Because they're reading the same news that I saw on television last night, right? So, so what's, what's happening in there? Is the organization dynamic enough to be able to help not just design where we're at today, but where we're likely to be five, 10 years from now. And are we taking that into account? Get ahead of the curve, right? Skate yes. where the puck is going, not where it is. If we're using a hockey analogy, you know, yes. there's too many companies that see the puck go over here and they go over here. And then they, it's kind of like tennis. And then they hit it over here to this side and then they go over here. So Let's not play that sport anymore because, that, you know, uh, by the way, I love tennis, <laughs> but, I love tennis but, too, but it's exhausting for companies to get there far that's right. and fast back and forth. It's exhausting for everyone internally right. and externally. It wears people out and employees, yeah. they see, they see leadership doing this back and forth, back and forth. So make them, make the employees part of it. It doesn't mean you appoint them to be a leader, but you include them. And one of the fundamental root causes of the great resignation is leadership is not connecting with employees. So this is a way to connect is you design the future together. I believe um, Isabella in designed luck. I don't believe in luck. Okay. So if you design your luck, I'm with you all the way and I can even help you. I help people do that. Okay. But, but just luck for the sake of luck. I mean, you know, you might get lucky, but the odds are, are pretty much against Very you. Slim. Yes. That's right, where it's going. And I think the companies, I just don't think that they're putting enough into the design of the future. And the reinvention, as you say, right? So I, th I think reinvention is a great word for that as well. So 
That's what needs to happen. And that's why the movement is so slow, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I love your take on it. And what I'm also sensing is that if we're if leaders are not adopting that fast, even if you bring them in new environment, but with the old way of thinking, it's still not going to work, right? And, and do they have enough time to work on themselves? Do they have enough time to understand that there are certain things going to come up very quickly, obsolete? And how do they position that are, that are sought after? What types of results and measurements are proven and showing? It's very interesting. I always loved it since Glassdoor started doing reviews on companies, also the reviews of CEO. And it's so interesting to hear what is the approval rate of existing people, people that left, what they say, what management is dealing with. Mm. And some of them are very, very honest. You could tell based on the way they're written. You can see in people's pain point, what, like if they could just figure this out, I would not be in this position that I have to look up for a different job or whatever scenario. Yeah. And it's interesting, how much do they really listen and pay attention? And do they even do, right? And whether it's considered okay or acceptable, how the criteria change dramatically. So we have so much work to do. But with that in mind, Brad, do you mind sharing just for quick one or two steps or golden nuggets uh, for talent and one for leaders to really move forward? Mm. We know that things are gloom. I know it's heavy. But if you just yeah. do one of these two things, things will be looking up better. What those are in your mind? I think that's that that's a that's a great question. So why don't we start with the ta talent? And uh, now talent, you know, you can define it different ways. I'll define it as say the top quartile. Let's say people that perform, right? People that are that are hungry, that want to do well. Uh, people that perform. The number one thing that you can do right now is because you're already performing, right? So it, it, I'm not going to tell you to work harder. So if, you're, if your company's telling you to work harder and you're in this top quartile, um, you probably should look for a different company, okay? Well, my advice to you is to take a little bit of time right now while you're performing. You can make the time to do it. You can do it on the weekend if you want, right? And start learning more about something that you're not familiar with pick up that new skill okay because if you're performing now in that top quartile because i believe that performance i believe a simple formula let me put it this way performance equals attitude plus hard work okay so let's do the algebra okay so if you're a performer now and i'm talking to you performers out there that means that you have your attitude right and you work hard, okay? Mm -hmm. So you've already got the ingredients, so why couldn't you perform well at something different than what you're currently doing? So learn the new trade, learn more about what's likely to be on the horizon. If you're in finance, let me give you an example. So you're a top performer, you're in finance, okay? Um, learn about FinTech technology in that space right and what and how you could sharpen your skills it doesn't mean that you're going to become a computer programmer not that at all maybe you're yes. currently in sales and i can tell you these i used to have these people calling on me all the time in asia they you know they they pester you to death right they want to you to buy their latest platform you know but you can you can pick up some skills in that area if you're in um 
if you're in marketing, right? Uh, learn about learn about fintech. Learn about transformation. Study people like Isabella. Study people like Brett that have done it, that have actually done this, and and use your own experiences as a checkpoint. Okay, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I never thought that we could have a sales force, uh, or we we could have twenty four thousand people set their own targets. Who in the world would think about that? Well, Brett said that 20 minutes ago on this program that they did it in the UK and that their results were three times higher than when management set their targets. How in the world? I never thought of that. Just imagine how invaluable that information would be. So that's my advice to learn something new. My advice to leaders, that was the second part of your question. So leaders, number one thing, drop everything and genuinely connect with your people. That's the number one piece of advice. I'm not going to tell you to go take a course. I'm not going to tell you any of this. I'm not going to tell you the importance. We did. We ran out of time today, uh, Isabella. I'd love to talk about diversity, uh, but we can maybe do that another time. But, but leaders, think through, okay, what life is like for your team. Okay, you're a leader, and to be a relevant leader, you need to create an environment where your people are successful, where your team wins, right? But in, how can you possibly do that if you don't understand what they might be going through now with daycare, with uh, other personal matters? Maybe there's some, you know, some stresses that you don't know about. You don't, maybe you don't need to know all the details, but you need to understand what they're going through. Then you can die, then ask for help. You're a leader. You probably don't know how to solve all this on your own. Ask for help. There's a lot of people that can help you. There's people on this platform that can help you. It's well worth it. Reach out, right? If you don't know where to go, message me, right? Message Isabella, right? We'll point you to the right direction. But before you do that, you need to talk to your people because there's too much evidence out there where this is not the case, right? I did a LinkedIn survey, Isabella, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, people could see it on my feed. And I asked the question, it just popped into my mind after I talked to a couple of people that had recently quit their companies. Does your boss currently understand your personal needs? And it was something like 64%, something 60, 64% was no, they don't. That says a lot right there, six out of 10 people, right? Now look at the great resignation. Okay, well, there, those things are kind of, I don't want to oversimplify. It's more complicated than what I'm pointing out here. But anecdotally, it's probably yes. spot on. So that, yes. that those would be my two pieces of advice. That is brilliant. And thank you for sharing that. And you're right. Uh, it, it is all tied together. And, and if we're not visible as a leaders and we're not where we need to be, uh, we're not going to make an impact and make a difference as timely as needed, and it will be too late. Hmm. And with that in mind, with someone who invested so much in your career and had tremendous successes, obviously, and now it's kind of having a new chapter in life and how you're helping and supporting teams and organizations. You already lived your legacy in so many ways. What would you like to be this part of your chapter, your legacy to be remembered by uh, and, I, and to achieve? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks. Thanks for asking that. I, 
I want to, it, it's somewhat similar to what I've done before, but it's obviously doing things differently, right? A lot of it's done digitally now, but we're all still human, right? So yes. I, there, there's a great leader that I admire and that actually uh, taught me uh, late last year a lot about these plat digital platforms because I come from you. I'm maybe not the dinosaur era, but you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty dynamic leader, but I, I came from, you know, I'm 58 years old. So there's my age. So I, I've, I'm a pencils and paper clips, you know, type of person. And I keep handwritten journals and, you know, different things like that. But there's a person on the LinkedIn platform, Rachel Beck, that actually taught me how to humanize social media. And I didn't know that before, believe it or not. And maybe it's the dinosaur in me or whatever, but, but I'm fortunately I have an open enough mind to I'm okay reinventing myself and it is possible to humanize. So what do I want to be remembered by? I want to be remembered by as somebody that impacted or saved somebody five or 10 years of their life with, with a piece of knowledge that I was able to give them from the experience I went through in 30 countries over 30 years, right? Tens of thousands of people, transformations, what have you. And that's what I do. You know, I, I keep Isabella, um, uh, I went to a Jim Rohn seminar in 1988, all the way back in 88. Okay. And one thing Jim Rohn said, he said, keep a journal. Don't treat your brain like a filing cabinet. You can look up the quote. It's, it's, it's all over the internet. And you know what? You know what I did? I, I copied what he, so I did it for 30, there's 89 books. And I wrote down the concept every day, different concepts of what I learned over the course of my career. Now, a man, and Jim Rohn also said that Brett didn't say this. This is not Brett's idea to do this, Jim Rohn's idea, but Brett did it for 30 years, right? And I can pull any, somebody calls me up. I get headhunters that call me all the time. Hey, Brett, can you tell me, did you ever work with Isabella? I said, yeah, I did. Can you tell me a bit about her? Yeah, let me pull out my book here. I got a lot of stuff on Isabella because I kept the journal as I went along. And people, of course, freak out and they say, oh, you know, and, but I'm, I'm professional, right? So I'm more than just putting on the suit and tie. I'm always professional. And, but I, I do, you know, kidding aside, um, um, every morning uh, when I do my post, it's a little chalkboardy post is an extract from those 89 books. And it's, it's uh, today was, I think from 2006 in Singapore, and it was about teamwork. And that one person, and I remember the meeting, I was giving a speech to a team of bankers. And I remember saying these words, I can see it clear as a bell in my mind, that I was no one person can be successful without the help of others. And, and it's, it's very true. And so that was a concept on that day that I used to inspire those people back in 2006. And it still is applicable today. If people that are self-centered big egos would realize that their efforts will be better utilized if they combine with other people and team up. Um, they'd be a lot more successful, right? Absolutely. Such amazing yeah. value again and a great yeah. share. Um, Brett, I love that. And uh, I, thank you for mentioning Rachel, our mutual colleague and friend. But what I want to also say, I just want to highlight for all the leaders that are watching and listening specifically for you, Brad gets coming from highly regulated financial industry, where a lot of things were forbidden to do, 
So even if he wanted to do, he couldn't do mm. it. And he now has flexibility. He learned it. He found the path, how he can be digitally savvy, capable, and able to communicate and deliver not only the visions and experiences, but also able to continue to serve in a meaningful way. So it's never too late and you always can change your game. Agility is the key and willingness to be lifelong learner. So thank you so much for being here on the show of the Legacy Leaders. We cannot wait to bring you back down the road and see what else yeah. is cooking. But at this time, we're absolutely thrilled and super, super jazzed to have you and to share with everyone all those beautiful uh, golden nuggets that you provided us with us today. Great. A pleasure, pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.